Hi and welcome to St Ninian's Sermons Podcast. My name's Stuart, I'm the Minister at St Ninian's in Stonehouse, which is in Scotland. We are a local ecumenical partnership between the Church of Scotland and the United Reformed Church and that means we reflect both traditions in our work and worship. So let's listen to our reading for this week and then get on to the sermon. Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea. During the time when Herod was king, Soon afterwards, some men who studied the stars came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the baby born to be king of the Jews? We saw his star when it came up in the east, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard about this, he was very upset, and so was everyone else in Jerusalem. He called together all the chief priests and the teachers of the law and asked them, Where will the Messiah be born? In the town of Bethlehem in Judea, they answered, for this is what the prophet wrote, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, you are by no means the least of the leading cities of Judah, for from you will come a leader who will guide my people Israel. So Herod called the visitors from the east to a secret meeting and found out from the exact time the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem with these instructions. Go and make a careful search for the child, and when you find him, let me know, so that I too may go and worship him. And so they left, and on the way they saw the same star they had seen in the east. When they saw it, how happy they were, what joy was theirs. It went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. They went into the house, and when they saw the child with his mother Mary, they knelt down and worshipped him. They brought out their gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh and presented them to him. Then they returned to their country by another road since God had warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod. After they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph and said, Herod will be looking for the child in order to kill him. So get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you to leave. Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and left during the night for Egypt, where he stayed until Herod died. This was done to make come true what the Lord had said through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. When Herod realized the visitors from the east had tricked him, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem, and its neighbourhood, who were two years old and younger. This was done in accordance with what he had learned from the visitors about the time when the star had appeared. In this way, when the prophet Jeremiah had said, Come true, a sound is heard in Ramah, the sound of bitter weeping. Rachel is crying for her children. She refuses to be comforted, for they are dead. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go back to the land of Israel, because those who tried to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother and went back to Israel. But when Joseph heard that Archelaus had succeeded his father Herod as king of Judea, he was afraid to go there. He was given more instructions in a dream, so he went to the province of Galilee and made his home in the town named Nazareth. 
And so what the prophets had said came true. He will be called a Nazarene. Bishop Tom Wright tells a story of how one Christmas he was leading worship and a famously sceptical historian had been persuaded by his family to come to one of the services at Christmas. At the door he said to the bishop, Now I know why people love Christmas. A baby doesn't pose a threat to anyone. It's pretty clear that the historian hadn't been presented with the passage from Matthew's Gospel that we read this morning. A story about evil and ego and Egypt. It's so easy to sentimentalize the birth of a child. We all do it. The pain is quickly forgotten unless you meet another pregnant woman and then you have to tell her all about your traumatic birth story. But mostly, we revel in the glow, the joy. Luke gives us joyful angels and shepherds. But Matthew's story of Jesus' birth And the events of its aftermath are much, much darker. So much so that I actually added the first part of the reading this morning so that we could hear of the visit of the wise men. The reading for today in the lectionary starts with the slaughter of the innocents. As we've already discovered in Advent, Matthew is writing for a Jewish community. But even though that's his primary audience, he's very clear that the Messiah is for everyone. Of all the people who could visit the child, Matthew tells the story of mystics from the East who watch the stars and read the signs. But they aren't content with their astrological discovery. The Magi are compelled to travel, to go and find this new king and to pay homage. Remember, Matthew's gospel begins with a family tree, a tree that puts Jesus firmly in the line of King David, the line of kings which had been broken. And now we have three scholars from the east seeing the signs that the line has been restored. The Jewish people had a strange relationship with their kings. They were never supposed to have kings. Israel was supposed to be a different kind of country. A community where God would be at the center and God's law would be supreme. But they wanted to be like the countries round about them. They wanted what their neighbors had. I'm sure something none of us can relate to at this time of year. Samuel tells them what will happen. There will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots and he'll appoint for himself commanders of thousands of, uh, of thousands and commanders of fifties and some will plough the ground and reap the harvest and others will make implements for war and equipments for your chariots he'll take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers he'll take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive orchards and he will give them to his courtiers he'll take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his courtiers he'll take your male and female slaves the best of your cattle and your donkeys and he'll put them to work he'll take a tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves and on that day you'll cry out to the king whom you've chosen for yourself but the Lord will not answer you on that day and despite all the warnings despite all the evidence of what's going to happen They choose to have a king anyway. 
And Samuel was right. Herod the Great is an interesting character. He's a consummate politician who manages to improve the lives of many of his subjects through some impressive civil engineering projects and some really canny deals with the Romans. It's Herod who renovates the temple, the wall of which still stands. It's Herod who builds the great port city of Caesarea Maritima and constructs the city of Herodium. It's Herod who builds the amazing fortress and palace on the mountain at Masada. Herod builds up the economy of Judea. He brought trade and prosperity to some, and he brought crushing, back-breaking poverty to others. And like all successful rulers, particularly of his time, Herod was absolutely ruthless. But then to be a king, you had to be, or you wouldn't be king for very long. The wise men make a fatal mistake in their searching, a mistake we would probably all make. They assume that the king of the Jews lives in a palace in the capital city, and so they end up in front of Herod the Great in Jerusalem. And their mistake exposes the fragility of God's plan. Incarnation's a brilliant idea, but choosing to be born in the care of a young woman and a carpenter might mean a lot of love for a baby, but it doesn't mean an awful lot of defense, especially against the power of a king. So the Magi bring their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gifts for a king. But the gifts also provide a means of escape. Joseph's heard from an angel before. His second message is short and sweet. Run! So the the Messiah runs away from the promised land into Egypt. It's an irony that certainly wouldn't be lost on Matthew's Jewish readers. Israel has become just like Egypt was all those years ago. Herod is the new Pharaoh, building monuments to himself with slaves. And just like Pharaoh had done, Herod orders the slaughter of all the boys under two years of age. Christmas, it turns out, is a dangerous business, with what we might now euphemistically term collateral damage. We all think of angels singing peace on earth. We imagine shepherds hurrying to Bethlehem. We romanticize the notion of the stable complete with a little donkey that doesn't exist and all sorts of animals keeping the baby warm. In our mind's eye, we see a blissful mother bursting with pride and a father standing watch over his new child. And when we do that, we conveniently overlook the fear and the poverty and the political unrest, the brutality of an occupying force and the desperation of the people of that time. And we still do the same. We try to make our Christmas idyllic, a time of indulgence and goodwill, a season to almost to deny reality be it the harsh reality of today or that first Christmas world. And even when we're confronted by the inescapable inhumanity, the murder of children, an abuse of power on a scale unseen, we still hope and pray for a different world. 
Because the advent of hope and love and peace and joy of which we speak and sing and for which we pray demands that we get real. That we open our eyes, that we are affected. That we move to change our world where weapons are more valued than healthcare. Where oil revenue is so tightly held that none can be spared for clean water. Where food mountains grow and arms dumps while people starve and are moved from their land. Those who sought the child's life are still to the fore. And we've become accomplices, unwitting or not. And so at Christmas we retreat back into Luke's cosy stable scene where everything's okay. And we don't have to worry for the safety of the baby even though Luke's backdrop is still the occupation of the mighty Roman Empire. It's Matthew who confronts us with perhaps more reality than we can handle. Matthew's political power is local. It's close up, it's immediate, it's violent and vengeful and all too familiar. Just like Mary and Joseph as they flee across the border as refugees, Christmas demands that we go to places against our will. That God will send us to places we don't really want to go. That starts with confronting the way of the world, our world, with all its realities and our part in it. We live in a world where violence is still far too often the solution. Where countries like ours make huge profits selling the machinery of destruction, meaning people have to flee for their lives. While at the same time, we live in a world where borders are strengthened and refugees are demonized. We live in a world where we've never been more interconnected. And at the same time, we've never been more divided. Perhaps the historian who attended Tom Wright's service was right. Nobody's threatened by a baby. But they should be. Because Christmas should change everything. As Howard Thurman wrote, when the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, to make music of the heart. Monarchs and governments should quake at the news of Christmas. Those who strip the world for profit should be terrified. Those who deal in death and destruction should be running for the shadows. All because a baby is born. Alleluia. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments, questions or thoughts about this week's sermon, then please do get in touch. We create this podcast at anchor.fm where you can leave us a voice message. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We post the audio of the whole service each week on our website. There are details of all of this in the show notes. If you're in the neighbourhood and want to join us in person, we meet for worship every Sunday at 11am. We'd love to see you.